Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, Y-E-G, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Adam from Toronto, and I support Creative Control because Vish is full stop one of the best arts interviewers in Canada, or anywhere in the world, really. He approaches every episode like he's known the artist for years, creating a conversational atmosphere that gets straight to the heart of the work. No one else in podcasting gets it quite right like he does, with a mixture of meticulous research, wise artistic insights, and well-humored personal connections. I proudly support Vish and Creative Control on Patreon. You should, too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Haley Four is a remarkable musician and composer who calls Chicago, Illinois home. Since 2008, Four has been working and touring the world under the moniker Circuit des Yeux and releasing extraordinary records with esteemed labels like De Style, Thrill Jockey, and Drag City. The ambitiously ornate and emotive new Circuit des Yeux record is called EO, and it reaches listeners on October 22, 2021, via Matador Records. To celebrate the occasion, Haley joined me for a chat about her time living in Indiana and studying nuclear engineering and then music, how the pandemic triggered her depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, playing keyboards instead of guitars, seeing Janet Jackson live as a young person, and the adventure I had taking my four-year-old son to see ACDC, the amazing classically trained musician she worked with on her new album and the making of EO, Steve Albini's efforts to make his electrical audio recording facility safe and pandemic functional so this album could be captured there by Cooper Crane, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, 
who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 643rd episode of Creative Control featuring the brilliant Circuit des Yeux with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Haley. How's it going? Hi, Vish. I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm well. It's very nice to speak with you. Uh, well, first of all, where in the world are you? I'm in Chicago, Illinois. You have been in Chicago for quite some time, correct? Yes. I, I moved here in 2012, so I'm coming up on my full decade. <laughs> nice. And how are you? You obviously like it. You don't dislike it. You wouldn't stay somewhere for nine, ten years if you hated it, I'm guessing. Or would you? Is that your personality type? <laughs> Endure the pain? There's a little bit of that in there, certainly. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you understand the the qualms of the weather and the winter are tough, but it's an amazing place to live as a musician. It's cheap, yes. huge community, lots of venues, great music. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Chicago. Every t- I miss it. I miss visiting it. Haven't been there in seven, eight years or something like that. So I love it as well. You mentioned that you moved there in 2012. Where did you move from? Well, I grew up in Lafayette, Indiana, which is kind of a small pharmaceutical town. Axel Rose is from there. That's kind of our big grab. Ah. <laughs> and I went to school uh, for a few years uh, down in Bloomington, Indiana, at Indiana University, and moved here directly after graduating Oh, okay, so so you and Indiana is right next to Illinois, so you didn't go too too far. But did you like Indiana? Do you do you like Indiana? Indiana, it's complicated. Bloomington, Indiana, is gorgeous. It's sort of like this cultural reservoir where everything is made out of limestone, and they have one of the biggest and most renowned ethnomusicology libraries there. So. I spent a lot of my time in the music library, so I did kind of get to explore during my time there, but growing up otherwise in Lafayette was, it was challenging. It was pretty isolating, not much music, a lot of drugs and alcohol, and mm. yeah, a lot of pollution. It's it's like a factory town where I came from. A lot of people think about, you know, endless fields of corn when you say Indiana, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. My view is a little different. I, I've ne- I've never heard of anyone describe a town as a pharmaceutical town. People say, <laughs> I, "I come from farm farm country farm." I you know it's farmland. I've never heard pharmaceutical town. Were you referring to the drugs and alcohol, or is that an industry there? No, it's a large industry. Eli Lilly is based there, which is one of the biggest makers of pharmaceuticals. Oh. It's also across the river from Purdue University, which. They just got called out for like their opioid scandal. And yeah, so there's like a lot of chemical runoff in the river that runs through the town. And if you go downtown, it kind of smells like rotten eggs. Mm. It's, it can feel dystopia if you're in the right state of mind, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 
You don't have to tell me. I, I, I got a speeding ticket in Indiana, and I hate it for that. Because the speeding ticket, <laughs> it was so dumb. I had to like pass someone who was going slow, and there was a squeeze. There was construction, so there was like a squeeze left or right situation, and I had to just do it. And they pulled me over, and then I didn't know I, I got the ticket, and then I didn't pay it till I got back to Canada. We were on our way back to Canada from a show, and then I paid it, and then they claimed I didn't pay it. I sent them the money order, and they claimed oh, I, wow. they claimed I didn't pay it. And I was like, no, here's a photocopy of the money order with the date on it, and like. Anyway, I don't like Indiana just because of that speeding ticket. I like Larry Bird. Larry Bird is good. <laughs> I like him. Were you, are yeah. you a basketball? Like Indiana is a basketball state. Do you like basketball? It's all right. I'm more of a soccer girl, but Larry Bird's very tall and very yeah. famous. Also, there's like this reputation that precedes Indiana drivers where we like cruise in the left lane, which it's, everywhere else in the world, that this, is not the case. That's, yes. That's why I got the speeding ticket, I think. There was someone going. You mean cruise going slow? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what happened. And there was construction, it was chaos, and they still pulled me over. Oh, man, I'm still angry about that speeding ticket. It was like 2001. I haven't gotten over it. Anyway, no justice. There is none. No, I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, you mentioned the music library, and that's at the university. Were you a student at the school? Is that what it was? Or did you go as a resident? Because you knew it had a really cool music library. So did you go as like a younger than university or college person? Or did you attend school and, and then check out the library there? I first went to college across the river at Purdue University for nuclear engineering, and I flunked out. And then upon some reflection, I applied and got into the School of Music as a recording artist for um, like a Bachelor of Science in the engineer world. And I also did a dual major in ethnomusicology. And that's kind of how I spent most of my early 20s like in the studio late at night, sneaking in, recording my own personal stuff and transferring all sorts of music, like really interesting to the very banal. <laughs> huh. Wow. You sound like the smartest guest I've ever had on the show, first of all, just based on your <laughs> academic pedigree. That's incredible. Now, I need to, you know, I did a couple of English degrees and if I had flunked out of those, no one would be harmed. When I hear that someone flunked out of nuclear engineering, I think, oh, somebody, the whole population might have gone down. Like that. Exactly. <laughs> what kind of exam did you flunk? You know, what kind of experiment? How did you even get in? Like, that's fascinating. So you were, let me just, I don't mean to embarrass you, but you were smart. You were, <laughs> you are very smart to even Once enter was. enter the realm of nuclear engineering and then the music thing. It feels to me like you were very inspired and influenced by the film Back to the Future because everything that you describe, <laughs> the nuclear stuff and then the music stuff, that's all in that movie. How, how did you first become interested in nuclear engineering? That's fascinating to me. Well, as a young child, actually, my biggest anxiety was the rainforest and climate change and learning about where our energy waste goes to. And back in 2007, 2008, I read up on nuclear engineering and it seemed like at the time a possibility. Like I was like, this could really help the world. And I had also scored like just about perfect on the math portion of my SATs. Mm. So my family was like, you should become an engineer. And two things kind of led me to become disillusioned with 
nuclear engineering. One was learning what they do with the nuclear waste. Mm. What they do with nuclear waste is they bury it in the ocean ground and it just is extremely toxic. And I realized that this wouldn't actually be the solution. And the second factor is um, MATLAB, which is sort of a, an engineering language that all engineers know, but it's very precise. And it's sort of these very long equations where you must put in exact character counts. And if you mess even one single digit up, you fail. And during that time, I was dealing with a lot of personal, I, I kind of came to a front with a very dark, challenging, traumatic period in my life. And mm. I wasn't able to focus. So, okay. I don't want to delve uh, any further into anything you don't want to talk about, but I'm sorry to hear that, first of all, that uh, that, that that period, there's a lot going on in that period by the sounds of it. So uh, are, are you relatively okay now? You know, yes, I am. Like, with the pandemic, there's been so many memories coming back, and I, I'm really proud of myself a little bit in that I, you know, I'm on medicine, I, I'm in therapy, I've done everything I can, and it was a while ago, so I certainly have, like, a more healthy reflection on it. But it also hmm. is important because it is my Genesis story. Like, I started making my f music during that time. I sort of turned away from math and went toward music so in a lot of ways, it was a, a positive change. Yeah. What, what year are we talking about here, roughly? Can you pin, pinpoint that? Yeah, 2007. Um, Seven, I think, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and so this is like around when you first started releasing music even? Yes, I released my first record the year uh, in 2008. So during this time where I was, things weren't working out and I was dealing with some heavy personal things, I bought a four track and... I don't know. I started like utilizing it as therapy for myself. I see. Well, no, that's great. To be honest, I, again, not knowing the full circumstances, I just I'm I'm encouraged and heartened that you you were able to do that. You know, you you were strong enough to do that. That's that says something about you, and I appreciate that. So, mathematics, music, science. What are the correlations there from your perspective? I I you know my children vaguely reject music lessons. Uh, my son in particular has been doing piano lessons for some time and he he doesn't like them. But what I say to him is like, this is going to pay off later and your brain at this age is at a good point where, you know, you can absorb all this information and he's very good at math as well. I don't know why I, now I'm doing it. I'm drawing a connection between math, science and music. Do you see a connection between these disciplines in some way, like just the way your mind works? Absolutely. I mean, I see it as those are all universal languages, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think they're all interconnected. I like how math supersedes language. I like how science is the investigation of like our final truth. Yeah. And yeah, I never understood why science was sort of not, wasn't considered like a liberal art or something. There's a lot of experimentation and um, imagination involved in that realm i think i think i think that the term is so loaded as we're speaking in the year 2021 that liberal arts sounds kind of progressive 
And uh, <laughs> I think maybe the scientists were like, no, no, we're very logical. Yeah, yeah, we experiment. We're very passionate. We are passionate people, but this is this is all reason. Don't worry. Like maybe that's something. I don't know. It's just a connotation. Like it's such a weird time for these terms, don't you think? Sure. Yeah, that is true. The lexicon has definitely shifted in the last four years. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, w- I would still put it under an um- umbrella. I mean, like even medical, <laughs> even like modern medicine is kind of an experiment <laughs> you oh know? absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> so you see that connection you see the connection with music and and creative experimentation oh absolutely yes hmm. maybe maybe later you can talk to my kids and just explain <laughs> the long-term benefits you as as a shining example of someone who's a immersed yourself in all these worlds and look at you now my i mean my mother also had me take piano lessons at a young age and i despised them <laughs> yeah. yeah also yeah but maybe maybe it had to do with the teacher but all you know it's nice to just be able to sit down at a piano and express something you know well this this is a relatively easy and nice segue into this new record which i believe is pronounced eo is that correct that is correct eo but for those uh, the reason i uh vaguely paused there is that the uh, just the typography is quotation mark oh no that's can't be no that's not even on the album cover never mind i'm just looking at my music library but it's is there is there a quotation mark no there's no quotation mark there's no quotation mark it's just uh hyphen the letter i the letter o and but it's pronounced eo yes that's did i capture that yes and by the way for those who can't see it right now because this is an audio podcast but if you go to my the episode post you will see the album cover for this incredible record and uh, Haley, this is you. This is a photograph of you in free fall. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. No Photoshop, folks. It's the real deal. <laughs> what, what is the context? First of all, what is the uh, what was the impetus uh, behind this kind of photo? What are you doing? Like, I'm trying to figure out what you're wearing. Again, for those who can't see it, head over to the the post for this episode. But it almost is bird like. You seem to have wings. You know, you've got some sort of shawl or something on. Here I am trying to describe something that I think you could do better. Tell us more about this photo, first of all. It's very intriguing. Um, the concept of the album cover for EO stemmed from a kind of exercise that I wanted to live out as an artist. You know, I, I am a working, living artist who has major depression and PTSD. And through the course of the last couple of years, not having live music as a sort of balm, I've been disassociating more and more. Mm. And that has a very specific feeling. And it feels like a private fall. That's the only way I can really describe it. And either you know or you don't know. But for those that don't know, it could be akin to something like grocery shopping and standing in line and you feel so heavy like you're gonna pass out or weightless like nothing can hold you down and both are very jarring and hard to hard to snap out of Mm. so as someone who's had you know i've had depression since i was 17 and i was just diagnosed with ptsd this last year and i'm picking up tools and this sort of new 
coming back to major depression, I had like a very bad episode and I hadn't had one in almost 10 years and it felt like this spiral and I really wanted to get to the bottom of this feeling of falling and I thought maybe if I did it, then I would understand it and I could move past it. Mm. But what I learned, which was very interesting, is free falling, your body sort of prepares for impact. So the first one to five falls I did for this shoot were very easy and very liberating. But by the time I got to maybe like the 10th fall, it became really challenging. Um, hmm. And I didn't expect it to get harder with each fall. I thought it would become easier. So that's the idea behind it. And visually, I'm wearing what I call an earth garb. <laughs> it's a collaboration with a local artist who uses all natural dyes and all natural fibers. And we made this kind of really gorgeous, comfortable outfit in this dark burnt orange color, which is a color I've been wearing for I mean, about eight months, maybe a year. And I'm wearing a shawl, a blanket, mm -hmm. which I would normally have wrapped around me, but gravity's doing its work and it sort of pushed the shawl up to look like wings and you can see you know my body's just being taken over by gravity and i just love it i think it's gorgeous oh no no don't get me wrong it's fantastic and the fact that it is an actual photograph makes it all the more intriguing on a technical level i appreciate the conceptual description that you provided what are you falling from how far down are you falling what are you landing on well I'm falling off a roof of a building onto two stunt mats. Um, I don't know what you call them, but we hired, a, I, I had to train with a stunt master, Talon Shot, who was really great, really, really great. So I'm basically doing like a nine to 10 feet fall. And there are two people that are there to catch me if something goes wrong. And I'm just, you know, I'm just letting gravity do its work. Mm. So you you say it got harder as you did it. Are you did it hurt? Any long term impact from this? Oh my gosh! The next day, I was like, I'm glad I never have to do that again. Right. <laughs> I was really sore, mm. but no, like no, no damage. <laughs> okay, well that's good. Well, like I say, stunning uh, entry point into this record, which is gorgeous. I had earlier suggested that we had a nice uh, uh, segue into the music uh, on this record, or this record rather. And I think what I, we were talking about keyboards and piano. And so that was my that was my point. Because to my understanding, you are or have been primarily a guitar-oriented uh, composer. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's true. Right. But this record is a departure from that standard, that, that, that way of doing things, if you will. Is that, is that also correct? Yeah. Yeah, you could say that. The majority of the songs were written either directly with to sheet music or started with this organ that I have in my living room. It's very old kind of transistor organ. And it's not like I was playing anything remarkable on it. It was just kind of the only thing I could muster the energy to play at that time. <laughs> mm, okay. Were you tired of guitar or you just needed some new 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 tool to inspire you? I think it was more just my energy and my spirit were very tired and you have to tune a guitar and a guitar I mean, I love my guitar. It's such like an alive entity, you know. It was built out of one piece of wood from one tree and it's way older than me and it resonates and you have to tune the strings, but it takes some time to even get to the point where you can play 
you know, jam on it. <laughs> and just being able to walk to this organ and sit down and it's already on and in tune. I think that's why I gravitated toward it. Oh, I see. What, what kind of guitar is it? Is it like some sort of custom guitar you have? So my guitar, her name is Boom, and it's a 1968 Gibson D12, 12-string. Mm. Mm. And I first acquired it with my first royalty check in 2013. And it was really one of the few moments as an artist where I felt... I don't know, like illuminated, like, wow, I'm an artist. You know, I went to this guitar shop and I played it for about an hour, decided to get it, spent way more money on an instrument than I ever had. And this older man across from me was like, did you buy that guitar? And I was like, I did. And he's like, congratulations. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> and and we've toured the world together. I've done a lot of solo touring and done some really wild travel. Um, yeah. But Boom's been there with me. <laughs> These old guitars, man. The markup on these old guitars, does it make any sense to you? Because I was contemplating, like, there's a store where I used to, I, I live in Edmonton, Alberta now, but I used to live in Guelph, Ontario, and at the time, and for a long time, there was an amazing uh, sort of vintage guitar shop called Folkways Music, and, and now they moved to uh, Kitchener. But anyway, they used to have these, like, older Gibsons, like Parlors and and. The D12 you're describing and all these other things, and I would you could you could play them, but if you looked at the price tag, it was like eighteen hundred dollars for something from whatever year, or you know two thousand dollars, whatever it was. And I always thought it seemed high, but those same guitars now, six thousand, eight thousand dollars, they just keep <sighs> getting higher and higher. And I don't quite, I'm in the market for maybe a new acoustic guitar. I've decided now uh, because I've been mm-hmm. I bought my son a. So I, I just got on this $100 Recording King thing. It's like a little parlor guitar. I thought he would he would be able to play it, but then it did it doesn't it, it doesn't work past like the 7th fret. You can't Oh, like the action's <laughs> create, create. too high or yeah, something. Yeah, it's not. I took it to someone and he man, he saw it and he's like I I won't be able to fix it, but I'll give it a shot. And he did. He was able to get it so that around the 8th fret, yeah. He couldn't, like, I don't know what it is. Something to do with the neck. Yeah, the action, just you press on a string, nothing. You get nothing. Mm -hmm. Not buzz, nothing. You get no notes. It was bizarre. Anyway. Oh, I do think that guitar markups are, like, aesthetic. And it depends. Like, sometimes it's like, John Mayer is playing this, or Lil Nas is playing this guitar, and then there goes the market. Right. That being said, I did get a great guitar, one of my first ones from a pawn shop, and... I mean, I don't know if your son's interested in like going to a place and trying things out, but you can find like a quality Martin for like 300, 200, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to, the other thing I said to him and them, my daughter is not, my daughter is a punk. She's just like, no, I don't want to <laughs> do anything. No. Don't you want to take some lessons? I like singing. That's it. And she can sing. She's a good singer, but she won't, she just refuses any lessons. It's, it reminds me of me. Probably. But anyway, my point was going to be that uh, I told my son that I thought he should maintain the piano instruction because I, in my head, and it could, this is maybe psychological because I never got uh, encouraged by my parents to play music. Far from it. Discouraged. I I had to, when I first got my first drum kit, I had to tell him I, I bought it from like, I bought a used drum kit for like two or 300 bucks, brought it home and told him I was borrowing it. Because I thought they would be so angry that I bought a drum kit. And so I told them, I, I, for years, they, they didn't know I actually owned my own musical instruments. But anyway, I 
believe, for some reason, correct me if I'm wrong, that piano in particular is a foundational instrument and the gateway to being uh, knowledgeable about guitar and other instruments. Why do I think that? I have like a weird piano bias, or do you think I'm correct in some way? I mean, there's so many ways to approach music. Like, I'd argue that maybe like a synthesizer could be equally as formidable, hmm. something that's hmm. less, you know, scale oriented, more tonal. Hmm. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, choose your poison. I think it's so cute that you had like a secret affair with music. <laughs> <laughs> well, they knew I liked music, but they just didn't want they you you know, I my parents are East Indian, immigrated to Canada. I think when you do that, you want to fit in and prosper at all mm-hmm. costs. Coming from India too, like where it's just poverty everywhere and you're scared into going to school because you don't want to yeah, slip through the cracks so to speak. So I think they were also like we we've only been here, you know, since 1976. We need to fit in. You're going to need money to survive. This isn't that. This isn't maybe immigrations, immigrant specific. All parents hope their kids <laughs> live viable lives. I think. Did you? Did you have that experience? Like, did you sound like you were a smart cookie? But were your parents encouraging? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if my parents always understand, but yeah, I mean, I definitely kind of. I like general music classes or any extracurricular musical things I was there and they were like okay I guess you're doing that <laughs> um, yeah right well I didn't have that so I think I'm I'm I know it and I'm trying to be cognizant of it I'm overcompensating a little by you know trying to get the kids to at least have access to trying the things that I was deprived of or I felt deprived of if you will but at the same time I don't know like by 15 14 15 I was going to concerts in wow. cars with people like I was going, like they let me do things, but they also didn't really want me to do things. It's like I feel like I've maybe misrepresented it now, like the whole deprivation thing. Because like I went to my first concert when I was like twelve years old. That seems crazy. My son is ten. I mean, sorry, his first big concert was ACDC. So he he has nothing to complain about. He he. I don't know if you like the Dees. What, what was what was your? I mean, I like some of it. What yeah, about sure. what, what about your first big concert? My first giant concert was in 1992. I my cousin got me into U2. Wow. Uh, when I throughout the 80s, uh which is when I kind of came of age. I was born in like 77. Mm-hmm. So I came of age in the 80s and so yeah, the first big show was like the first artist I ever saw like on purpose was uh, Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy. Then it was Primus, then it was U2. Wow. That was, the sh- that was the show. And then, yeah, my son's first concert technically was a band called Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet, did a sort of reunion show. Mm-hmm. And he, so that was fun. But then, yeah, at four or four years old, he became so obsessed with the Ramones and ACDC through his papa. Because I would just play the CDs in the car and he got this like OCD, like he knew the lyrics to every song, some of which he probably shouldn't have known. You know, (laughs) they're not maybe for kids, but I just was like, yeah, we'll just see this. I think what happened was I turned the car on and one of my CDs, like I'd taken one of the Raffi CDs out and left like a replacement CD in and I was going to take it. uh, He was like, what is this? I was going to spit it out, you know, take it out because I was Mm -hmm. like, I don't want him. But he liked it. And then I was like, oh, well, maybe you'll like ACDC. And he loved it. So then I sort of said to my wife, you know, they're playing at this big 
field in Toronto. This is like, so he must, that was like 2015. You know, I don't think they'll be playing much longer. Like, I don't see how this is possible. This is Brian was, Brian Johnson was still in the band at this point. And I guess he's back in it, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I took, I took him and he was like, when's TNT? The whole time, the whole, the whole, (laughs) when, when are they playing TNT? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know exactly. But I, he was getting tired because they started late and he was a kid and he refused to take a nap. So anyway, this is enough about, they like music. Why am I talking you, about this? Well, you got to let me know, though. Did they play TNT eventually? So I, because he was badgering, he had like those headphones on to protect his hearing. Mm-hmm. And so, and there was loud music and he would be like, I'm tired. What's, when's TNT? I'm tired. You have to carry me. I'm like, I can't carry you. He was heavy. You know, I can't carry a kid for the whole show. I tried to, and he wouldn't go on my shoulders, which is actually easier. Do you have, you don't have, do you have children? I don't. I don't. Uh, they they're complicated. They they're heavy, and they're they get t- they're heavy and they get tired. Like that's your whole existence, and they're hungry. Anyway, so I had to finally looked at my phone to see what their previous set list was from like a couple nights earlier, and I and they and I noticed because I knew their catalog that they were playing it exactly in the same order. So I saw the TNT. I think was like seventeen, the seventeen song. I'm like, he's not going to make it. So as he's fading. <laughs> He's, I'm like, it's coming up, it's coming up. And as he's kind of fading, I'm like, okay, even though we spent all this money on these tickets, let's go back to the car. Because he was fading. So he's four. Yeah. So I took him back to the car, and then I pulled the car up basically behind the stage with the windows down, because it was in a, I could do that. The road was right behind the stage. So I'm, and I was like, hang on, it's coming, it's coming, hang on. And uh, you know, a couple songs went by, and then here it was, song seventeen, TNT, and they started it. And I looked behind me, and he was out, just out like a oh, light. No. <laughs> he finally just went down, and I was trying to wake him up, but he, he also he I bought him. Uh, he was wearing his ACDC shirt, which he loved, and I bought him like uh, they had these uh, light up devil horns, like a head headband, you know. So he's just right this kid faded out, and, and it's, anyway, sorry. Did you? Did you no, have? That's gorgeous. Well, I like. I like. I that, again. Nice memory. I think it was nice. I appreciate that. Anyway, sorry. What about you? Do you have formative musical uh, influences from when you were a younger person? You know, my father. Like hearing you talk about your child and influencing him with music. My father was. He he would let me like sit in his car and listen to certain CDs in the garage and stuff. And he took me to see NSYNC when I was 10. Nice, right? (laughs) But um, a more formidable experience, I think, was when a babysitter took me all the way to Chicago when I was maybe 13 to see Janet Jackson. Oh, nice. And my God, I mean, I had never seen a woman like just take over the stage like that and so grateful for that experience because I would never have asked to do that you know it was purely from my babysitter's own interest I think but really cool just to be clear the babysitter lined up a gig and then said to the parents hey is it okay if instead of just hanging out in the living room watching TV I take your child to see Janet Jackson or was this all pre-planned I mean, it was obviously pre-planned, but was this always the plan? Yeah. Instead of just a normal... I mean, I think she was was like a family friend, like babysitter, kind of. Oh, I see. Maybe like more of an auntie or something to me. So, yeah, they all let it happen, and it was kind of incredible. So, Janet Jackson, I'm guessing the production values, (laughs) the spectacle... It's all pretty high. Like, it was pretty... Like, when I think back on... You know, again, I... 
with some begrudging I don't know what to what to call it. It's not shame. I but like U2 is not a cool band now. But they when were I huge. but I will they were huge at the time and I will say the thing I saw was the Zoo TV outside broadcast tour which was a very for those who don't know massive stage production. It actually probably maybe only Pink Floyd did a more elaborate live stage production up to that point. Like car literally old German cars were hung in the rafters. Uh, these, I think they're called tr- trabants, and they were used as spotlights. Like they lit up the headlights, and it was very intricate. And all these giant TV screens, and it was very immersive and overwhelming. As a spectacle, it is one of the greatest spectacles I've ever witnessed in a music realm. Was Janet Jackson like that? Was there a lot of stuff going on beyond the music? Totally. I mean, crazy, crazy stage props at one point she like pulled some guy out of the audience and like strapped him to this surgical chair and like did a whole dance and it was <laughs> whoa wow yeah okay. it was great anyway i th- i don't know if much of that is in my new record <laughs> but well it's, it's in there honest, somewhere <laughs> that's where i was coming from because this new record we've discussed a few ways it's a departure but it feels have you would you say for those who don't know your whole catalog do you consider yourself a theatrical performer because this record to me is quite theatrical i was playing it in the office here in my office here and it was uh it was wafting up to where my wife was in her in her office space and when she came down she's like is there a new diamanda gallus i said no no i'm listening to circuit well, how do you say your name again? You say it in a... I was going to go French, but how do you go pronounce French. your band? Go French. Just go French. It'll be great. I'm going to try it. I, I My French is bad. But I would say Circuit de Youth. Yes. No, that's bad. I don't know if that's right either. But anyway, that's what she heard. She thought, oh, what's going on? This is a very... Uh, for those who don't know, Diamanda Gallas, very kind of heavy uh, theatrical music on some level. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know if that resonates with you, but all this to say, would you describe yourself throughout your trajectory as a theatrical musician, so to speak? I would not use the term theatrical, although I do understand the sentiment. In my waking life, I'm very introverted and take up very little space. But when I perform, I'm just trying to match the bigness of my emotions. And I think that's what I've always tried to do. And I can't describe it other than like performing live is such an opportunity and I've always committed myself on stage and my voice has become so large throughout my life. And with this record in particular, I, instead of going collaborative, like I have in the past, I recognize that my emotions and my experience were so dark and isolating that I really had to do it myself. And I refused to stop until I felt like the bigness of my experience was reflected in the music, you know? Yeah. Well, like there are pieces here like Vanishing and Dogma and Neutron Star. By the way, one of my uh, longest uh, terms in a band, the band was called the Neutron Stars. We were in Guelph, like a rock band. But uh, that's kind of odd. I noticed it and I was like, that's weird because no one. But with your uh, nuclear engineering background or whatever it was, your science background, eh, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Or something. I don't know if that makes any sense what I just said, but. What is a neutron star again? I was in the band and I I can't remember. What is that kind of star? 
A neutron star is the precipice to a black hole. It is the densest star in the galaxy. And right before it becomes a black hole, like its centrifugal force of gravity becomes so great that it, instead of exploding, it implodes. And I just thought the metaphor of that to, um, I, I lost a, a friend and they told me that before they passed that if you want to write a good song, you should research it and read every book you can about it. And I think I tried to process maybe that grievance through that song. Uh, first of all, I'm very sorry for your loss. Uh, Thank you, Vish. Uh, and sad about that. But um, I also appreciate that you were able to uh, translate that into this kind of idea because that's that's what you do I, on some level as a creative person. You try to find a therapeutic, uh, you know, way out. And uh, so I appreciate that. But you said a few things there that I think resonated. Well, they resonate with me because they go back to our previous conversations. Uh, precipice into a void, uh, gravitational pull. I mentioned vanishing, for example. These themes are really present here, but they are presented in a very, the, uh, which what I would call some of these themes. And well, I don't want to say they're despondent. There, there's a very triumphant tone to the songs on this record, but I understand where that, that they came from a very dark place. Is that purposeful in a sense, like to try to find the triumph, uh, some sort of virtue in all of this hardship? I mean, a huge part of me wants to complete this sort of westernized narrative, you know, where I was really sad and it was really traumatic and then, and I was the underdog and then I overcame and now I'm filled with joy but I'm not there yet. And I think what I did get out of this was power and a sense of redemption. Also just being heard, literally, but yeah, validation of like what our experience is. And, and you made most of this record during uh, the pandemic, I believe, or was it mid-lockdown? It was uh, during a time where the lockdown and the pandemic, you said earlier, uh, got to you and conjured uh, some hard memories. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'm alone in that. Memory's been really tricky for a lot of people that I know this last year and a half. Memory, well, temporality is all fucked up, basically. Every <laughs> we've, we've, A lot for a long time, I think every day felt the same, right? I, I don't know. Did you find that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's strange. So you don't feel like you're progressing... Uh, because everything it's like Groundhog Day or whatever the you know, so okay, so it was hard. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. This wasn't you're not trying to. Uh, it's not a pity party. You're you're not alone. Oh no, in these feelings, but but it sounds like you had a just given your past experiences and your history. This was particularly complicated for you. Uh, on the other side of this record, and, and I mean, you made a record that sounds like I said earlier. It's it's just got a huge sound to it. Who did you work with uh, in terms of musicians uh, that you maybe haven't worked with before, so to speak? Not individually, sorry. Just in terms of instrumentation, did you explore things that were new to you in any way? Yeah, I mean, I will admit that I am the type of person, I like to go to live shows. And there's a couple venues here, specifically Constellation, where I'll go and like wear a big brimmed hat and sit in the back and be like, I want to work with that person, you know, and that wasn't possible mm -hmm. for this. But 
I did get to work with some of the best musicians in the city, including Caitlin Edwards on first violin. She's new to me and my musical world. And I learned of her through Angel Bat Dawid. They did an amazing, gorgeous piece in honor of Yoko Ono for the art museum here. And Mallory Lineham is also on violin. Whitney Johnson is on viola, who is a longtime collaborator. You will hear her on my records from 2015 on. Um, I see. Okay. Oli J.P. Harris is new. She plays cello. Nora Barton is also a new collaborator on cello. Andrew Scott Young is on contrabass, and he is kind of in my core band. We started touring together a couple years ago, and he's fantastic, can really like get crazy sounds out of his bass. Tyler Damon is on drums. Ben Lamar Gay is on cornet, who's a star in his own right. Matthew Davis on tuba. Emily Beisel on flute and clarinet. And Nick Brosty on trombone. It was recorded by Cooper Crane, who is my partner and longtime collaborator. And it was mixed remotely by Marta Saloni, who's based in London. Right. And you recorded it at Electrical Audio in Chicago, right? Yeah. And kudos to Steve Albini, because we recorded this last week of November, first week of December of 2020. And I'll tell you what, it was so frightening with the COVID situation. I mean... You could really feel the infrastructure buckling in Chicago. There was no vaccine available. And to get a COVID test, I had to wait in line for hours, like two and a half hours. And there was no real guidance from the CDC at that time. So Steve was just very smart and very articulate on what had to be done and how it needed to be done. And Hmm. I attribute that to our ability to like do this project. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to him around that time actually, for this show. And uh, he was, yeah, really uh, in anguish and anger about the situation there, but also, and, and his business, the, the plight of his business. But I, as you say, he was right, also really resolute about what to do and how to do it uh, the best he could. Uh, so I appreciate uh, those sentiments as well. So I asked, I didn't expect you to, uh, you know, list everyone, but you had it. You had it at the ready. That's amazing. You remembered everyone. And it's an impressive list. How collaborative were these recordings in the sense of, did you write everything in advance? Was yes. there, okay. So people were basically given the, the instructions, if you, the recipe, if you will, and then you cooked together. What the hell analogy am I going on here with? I'm hungry, I guess. I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> did anyone surprise you with something, uh, that they came up with, uh, for, for parts or were you like, no, hey, I'm Haley, I'm in charge, stick to the script. Was there any sort of improvisation in that regard? In the past, improvisation is like a huge part of my artistry, but for this project, everything was written to sheet music, including dynamics, and hiring so many people was logistically very costly, so we recorded everything in 10 days, and I produced it all, so it was like clockwork. Um, We could only have five musicians in at a time, so, you know, this person's in and has got to get their parts done in three hours, and this person comes in when that person leaves, and it was, there wasn't much time for, like, rewriting, nor was I open to it, and to be frank, I don't know how to play 
most of the instruments I wrote for. And to have someone like Ben Lamarguet, who is so incredibly versatile, to be like, no, you need to play this note and hold it for eight counts. I'm grateful that he was into that. And yeah. I kind of felt a little foolish, <laughs> but that's just what this project called for. I mean, I, I'll, I've said it maybe in different ways, but it's a really brilliant record. And I know from what you've told us and from what I've read, you know, this is a record where you took sadness and pain and trauma and processed it. And then now we have a lot of, and, and loss, I should say. Um, and, processed all of that and created these songs on some level i understand the impulse uh, uh artistically and personally as to why you would want to do this i wonder what you hope it does for others who have had similar experiences perhaps um if they delve into the lyrics and the tone but also musically obviously it's very uplifting for me like i i'm addicted to the record just playing it i've been playing it a lot uh i love oh, this wow. i love the sound of it and there's so much emotion and feeling in it that I, you know, I have the fortune as we're speaking of the full context, but for me, it just conjures a lot of feeling. So all this to say for you, now that you've finished this and created this thing for yourself, what do you hope people take from it? What would you hope they would take from it beyond just, oh, that's a good record, you know? Is there anything in particular? Absolutely. I mean, it certainly can only be a hope, but I do consider EO a place and I think music for me has always been a place where I can be my heaviest self and walk away a little lighter or maybe a little more recalibrated. And talking about death and talking about depression is always going to be uncomfortable, but I really hope that people open up to it and don't feel so isolated. And also, I think it's important for people that do suffer from PTSD to be soft on themselves and to understand that these narratives and these memories are not linear. And also your brain doesn't have to be truncated toward the worst parts of your life. And for me, music has absolutely helped me heal. Hmm. And the writing of Fernando Pessoa has been so medicinal for me during this time. It's just a sentiment that as dark as suffering is, it's a binding mechanism and it's also been so wild to have to depend on people to play this live. I felt like I was falling into a void and now I'm like falling into a net of at least eight to nine musicians because that's what it takes to do this record. And yeah. as we're rehearsing for that, it's been like so overwhelmingly life affirming. Well, that's positive to hear. And that's all well said. Uh one thing I was going to say is that in my own experience with therapy or counseling, to learn about yourself is to surprise yourself by the tools you have and even the ways you're behaving. Uh, after writing these songs and recording them, is there anything about them that has surprised you? Anything about yourself that you learned? It's a great question. I just... I can be a leader. It's it, I'm a different type of leader, you know, but I'm surprised that I'm able to wrangle and create like a small community for what it's worth. That's hmm. new for me. I'm usually like back of the class, head down type. So yeah, well, yeah. That's, that's very surprising. That's good. No, that's good. 
and that that's actually again I used the word triumphant earlier, but to take all of this feeling and these thoughts and feelings and turn them into a project that you are at the helm of that's really ownership that's that's um that's impressive if if for what it's worth i think that's impressive um so congratulations <laughs> if i may thank you thank you vish thank you so much oh you're welcome now you alluded to the fact that you are uh, hanging out with these same musicians again. You're, are you preparing for shows? Is that the idea? Yeah. Um, so, you know, with COVID, we're all taking a different approach as artists. And I'm only going to be playing two shows this year. One will be at the Knockdown Center in New York on the release date, which is October 22nd. And it will feature members of the Wordless Music Orchestra mm-hmm. and my core band. And on November 21st, we're doing a show here in my hometown in Chicago at Talia Hall. And that's going to feature pretty much mostly everyone featured on the record. So it's like a 17-piece orchestra and myself. And I cannot wait. It's going so (laughs) swimmingly. (laughs) No, that's fantastic. I know by the sounds of it, you really, really clamor for the stage. And I, I wish I could... I wish there was a way I could... Uh, experience these songs live sometime soon but and maybe there will be but i don't know we'll see but uh, it is fantastic within this same line of questioning are you working on new stuff have you i know this was a lot to make and do and you're you're practicing and rehearsing and all those sorts of things but have you been writing since you finished this record i have been producing a project um that i guess i won't talk about um Mm. but i am also just trying to write right now as I feel this levity, you know, maybe right from a different perspective, because I will admit that I'm feeling better. You know, I've got all this activity and speaking with you and, yeah. you know, there's, it's really helpful to talk. So yeah. I want to take advantage of uh, my brain while she's in light. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that as well. No, that's great. Okay. Well, so the record is EO. It's out via Matador Records and people can learn about it there. Is there anywhere else you'd like to send uh, people just to keep tabs on you and your work? Um, I'm on all social media. I also have started a Patreon, which I'm really enjoying. All things Circuit Diz U. So at Circuit Diz U, that's C-I-R-C-U-I-T-D-E-S-Y-E-U-X. <laughs> I, will, I will include some links, by the way, for people who want to learn more about you in the... Uh, podcast description but that was great i I enjoy spelling (laughs) and uh odd and variable pronunciation i like that too that's good it's all good okay so you're on socials people can follow you there and like i say the record's out on matador records which that's a new is that a new arrangement for you matador i think it is right it is yeah that's cool Uh, yeah they've been great they've been so careful with me and um i've worked i've had the joy of working with a lot of labels in my life and yeah it's it's going well. Good. Awesome. Okay. Now, if there's a song from the record that we can go out on, and as we're speaking, the record's out in a few days, what song would you pick, if you could, and why? I would pick Vanishing, because mm. I love it. It's got it's got everything on the record. It features everyone. So And it's a banger. You Total know? banger. You can enjoy yeah. it and think about it. <laughs> it, is not, it is not the lead track on the record but in a way it is how would you describe the opening uh, number Tonglin in vain is um 
sort of the precipice to vanishing and it's it's a sonic representation of trying to do the tonglen and failing. And the tonglen is just a really easy meditation practice where upon the inhale, you think of your suffering. And on the exhale, you think of something you're grateful for. And um, at that time, I was exhaling and just still considering my grievances. So that's that. And it, it's 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 like this rumbly, gorgeous, full glissando, like that sounds like it's going toward the heaven and then it just spirals down into the center of the earth. I just love it. You know, <laughs> now that I open this up, should we play? I, you say they're interconnected. Should we play Tonglin in vain and then vanishing or should we just go right to vanishing? Let's do Tonglin in vain into vanishing. I love let's that. Let's do it. We can do whatever we want. It's a free world for now and it's <laughs> podcast. Who cares? All right, let's do it. From the brilliant new record EO, this is Tonglin in vain uh, and vanishing. Enjoy it. Turn it up. Amazing songs. This record's fantastic. Haley, this was such a joy and a pleasure for me. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope we speak again soon. Best of luck with everything in the future. You too, Vish. Thank you.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I must confess to you, I don't really have to confess to you, I don't have to do anything, but I will tell you that as I'm recording the outro for this episode, I'm watching the LA Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves play in Game 2 of their Best of 7 2021 NLCS Best of Series here, and it's the bottom of the... Oh my God. It's the bottom of the ninth. Oh, he's out. Okay, there's two outs. It's bottom of the ninth. It's 4-4. By the time you're hearing this, we'll know what happened, but I'm a bit distracted, and I don't know why I'm telling you this. Thanks again to Haley Four of Circuit des Jours for appearing on this, the 643rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you uh, want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook if you like. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Vish Creative. Or you can follow me directly on Twitter or on Instagram, at Vish Khanna. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive content uh, from my archives. And uh, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, patreon.com slash creative control thanks for your support thanks also to pizza trocadero the bookshelf and planet bean coffee in guelph and granddad's donuts in hamilton for their in-kind support for this show i'd like to also thank my dear friend jim guthrie for lending me some music that i can use on the show you can learn more about jim at jimguthrie.org 
And uh, finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Haley. I hope you enjoyed it. Haley's wonderful. This new record, EO, is fantastic. I hope you uh, track it down uh, once it's available for you to do so. It's really great. And uh, if you like this episode and you've never heard of the show before, uh, consider subscribing to it. Subscribe to the podcast, follow the show, and uh, maybe tell your friends about how great you think the show is, and maybe they'll be like, I've never heard of that show. Is it good? Do you get the? Do you get any baseball analysis or updates from a scoreboard? Uh, do you get? Is, is it that kind of show? And you can be like, yes, it is. So you should subscribe. That would be great. But uh, otherwise, that's it. I will talk to you very, very soon. I hope you're well. Let's just check in on the score here. No, it's a, uh, it's a commercial. It's a commercial. For something. It's gambling. There's always commercials for gambling now. They really want you to gamble. Do they have to promote that? Anyway, I'll talk to you very soon. Try not to gamble. Bye for now. Uh, the Braves won 5-4. They're up 2 nothing. Just just checking in. Uh, that just happened as I was wrapping up. There you go. Now you're informed. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.